Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about the TV show Midnight Mass and all the questions it raises about ethics, theology, justification, and what does it mean to believe that you are helping people while doing so much harm. All that more after commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I am joined today by the uh, granddaddy panda, Panda Isimo, as we call him, Matthew Carroll, head of the Stranded Panda Network and the MCU cast, the person who inspired me to podcast. And um, particularly appropriate for this uh, particular podcast, Son of a Preacher Man. Matt, how are we doing today? Uh, well, I was good, and I've been called Papa Panda. That has been the case. No one's ever called—I think I don't think anyone's ever called me Granddaddy Panda. And, like, I am— I'm, I'm, I guess I'm offended. I don't know. I'm hurt. I, I don't mean granddaddy like grandpa. I guess this is a southern versus northern thing because granddaddy to me doesn't mean, it means like the all, the pandaissimo, like the head daddy in uh, charge, you know? I, well, down here it means the father of my father, okay. which just makes me old. <laughs> I realize we're doing video chat right now, which often we just do audio and you can see the gray, yeah. but like it's, it's offensive. I, I, as a northerner, <laughs> I would have called you grandpa panda. That's what I meant. Pandaissimo. But anyway, uh, yeah, so let's just dive right in, because I know I don't have you for too long. Midnight Mass, for those who haven't seen it, is a Mike Flanagan Netflix show. This is the creator of uh, Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. And once again, this is a story that is using the genre of horror to tell a story that's really about... I mean, this is really Mike Flanagan as a former Catholic working out his issues about religion and Catholicism and forgiveness and retribution and redemption and theology and just all wrapped up in what is, we're going to get right into spoilers, a vampire story for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what was your oral take on this show? I, I thought it was so inventive and so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and well, fun and really serious. An word, but... I mean, it's it's such a like as a person who grew up incredibly religious, mm-hmm. uh, hearing all of those scriptures that they're actually like quoting from the Bible to justify their vampirism was 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, and it like it's just like it, it, it it's. It's basically like it's like Bible fan fiction almost. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 you've heard of the like oh see see this makes me want to do it. You've heard you've heard of like uh sensibility and sea monsters mm-hmm. and you've like you've got like um Pride and Prejudice the, 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 and zombies, yeah. Yeah. Like I wanna see the Bible and vampires now. Like yeah. that's what this is like. This is angels were va- if angels were vampires, like that's what right. this is. But that's not what's actually going on. That's just the way they're justifying it to themselves. And I thought that was an incredible look into something that I think is incredibly important when, it, when you look at any religion. Um, and that is, if your religion, I, I, this, is, this, is, this is a new concept for me. This is something I've been like, I've decided recently my line for when religion has become useless. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not my, mine to say, but it, 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 I can say it. Uh, and that is when your religion crosses your empathy. Yeah. And that's that, like when your religion decide you decide your religion is more important than empathy. And it's funny because I grew up, one of my favorite books growing up that was my apologetics book to go to mm-hmm. was mere Christianity. Apologetics, by the way, for I, those who don't know is it's a way of sort of defending religion, specifically often Christianity against the critiques right. of a secular world, et cetera. Right, right. Like the, the it's basically your you. Uh, there are these books you will read as in the Christian culture when you have doubts. Almost right. like you read these books and like I'm having doubts. I turn to this book, and one of the most comforting for me was always Mere Christianity, which is 
a book that starts with the idea that where everyone has a little small voice telling them what is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And then it expounds on that concept until it sort of does this work around proof for God. Like mm -hmm. if, if, if we all have this moral voice in us, what does that mean? Right. And like, it sort of expounds on that, but it's, it's interesting because I've now come to the place in my life where I've like, basically I, I'm no longer religious. And it, when that little small voice, when your religion crosses that Rubicon where you're no longer listening to it, yeah, then you've, you've crossed a line. Like, and in this, in this, all, a lot of these people, I mean, particularly his assistant who I'm, I'm going to forget all the names of Bev. the characters. I meant to pull them up. Ev? Bev Beverly. Bev. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bev. It has, has clearly, she, she, she crossed that line long ago, Yeah. you know, her, 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 she has no empathy for animals because the Bible says we're, you know, we're, we're the creatures are our domain or whatever. Like she, she's justifying a lot of things before this movie even starts. Yeah. Let, let me jump in also for a second, just to give a quick uh, summary of the plot for those of you who haven't seen it. And again, we're not, this isn't, um, we might at some point do this show on PandaVision, especially if there's a second season, though I, I, there's no reason for there to be a second season. Um, but, but this is just to explore the questions, but just to let you know. So the main idea of the story is it's set on an island that's like a small town that's literally separated from everything else. Mm -hmm. We're not told where. It's probably in New England somewhere, a kind of a fishing village that's dying. The economy's dying. The town is dying. The church is dying. And the Monsignor of the church went away. Uh, on a trip to Jerusalem when he was old, very old, pretty senile. He wandered out into the desert and he wound up, as he understands it, wandering into this temple, being attacked by, as he understands it, an angel. The angel drank his blood and then made him drink the angel's blood, which restored him to youth. And so, like, in our minds, we think of this as vampirism, obviously. The word vampire is never used in the story, but it's pretty clear that's right. the idea of it. Um, and they also have things like they can't go into the light. Yeah, they can't go they into the light. Like all, all those vampire things are present. Yeah, all that's present. But but the thing, what happens is, though clearly it has a healing aspect to it, while also doing things like you can't go into the light, it increases your anger, it increases your all this kind of stuff. And so he comes to believe that this was like going into a lot of the theological ideas of blood and blood being healing, that this is kind of a literal idea of that blood of Christ being passed down. And so he wants to come back to the town and teach them all that miracles are still true. And he pretends to be someone new. Uh, but over time, he like he makes a girl who's in a wheelchair be able to walk again. He um, helps other people become younger and and healthier. And with the eventual goal of, in his mind, converting everyone into vampires at, or as he understands it angels so that basically he thinks like the second coming of Christ is here and that he can do. And I, I think the show makes pretty clear that he has fundamentally good intentions. Yeah. Even though that he's a person who's often kind of wrapped up in it as it goes along though, there's other, but he's also obviously very, very like, he's not willing to see the harm he's doing to people. Other uh -huh. people get involved. They have their own agendas. They want to spread it more. It becomes kind of the classic vampire story of, you know, the people who are fighting against it, the people who are fighting for it. Um, and till eventually by the end, um, his plan but it falls on weirdly religious lines. It's like all of the people in the town that are Christians that have been taking the uh, uh, taking the sacrament or taking the Eucharist every week. Right. They're the ones they 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 end up uh, 
being vampires and all of the atheists in town end up being like, what is going on? All the Christians are eating people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it plays out in wonderful ways. And, 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 and so the point of it all is that it winds up being a story about the danger of religion, especially I think as you, as you perfectly put it, to overcome your empathy. You know, that, uh, that when religion starts to be a way for you to say, these are the good people, these are the bad people. And so any amount of terrible things are justified towards bad people as long as it's for this, you know, overall good goal and that the good people be saved. Um, right. So, yeah. So it's, and, and, and then also tied into it is some amazing character studies and other discussions of uh, redemption. Um, you know, one of our main characters is someone who uh, a guy named Riley in the very first scene of the show uh, kills a young woman in a drunk driving accident. And mm -hmm. the show starts with him being released from jail, coming back to town at a time when he really hates himself and he thinks he has no place yeah. in society and a lot of society doesn't know where to put him. So the first few episodes, you know, you mentioned it's a horror show mixed with these religious elements. The first few episodes, the only real elements of horror, there's some like clues that something's going on, like some dead animals and mm -hmm. things, but like the, the only real horror element is he keeps seeing flashes of the girl he killed lying in the road and it's this really uncanny valley thing because there's she had glass all in her face mm -hmm. and the blue and red lights were flashing on the glass right and so that's how he's remembering her but it's weird because she'll show up in places and it, it has this very uncanny feeling because the blue and red lights aren't hitting anything else in the room right they're just hitting off her so it almost makes her look like this sparkling blue and red visage and it's it's really creepy and he can't stop seeing it and it's his it's his guilt chasing him and it's kind of a wonderful like meta uh filmmaking tv making technique because in mike flanagan's earlier pieces there were both ghost stories really like and again where it's the the horror is a vehicle by which to tell a story that's mostly about something else but in both cases he used ghosts quite often so especially if you've seen a mike flanagan piece before I spent the first couple episodes thinking that the ghost of this girl is haunting the main character until finally realizing, no, 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 that's actually just him remembering it, which I just thought was like a brilliant little TV thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I I, I kind of got that, that, that it was a, it was just the, but, but I didn't know what the show was about. See, that's, and I almost feel like we should probably add to the top of this episode a spoiler alert because like, or a little, we should do a like two minute section on what the show is without spoiling the vampire thing. Cause that's the big reveal, you know, right. like I had no idea what this show was about. Could be ghosts, could be this, could be, yeah. and I'm watching And then finally when the vampires revealed, I was like, Oh, it's like end of episode three. Yeah. I was just blown away by how, uh, and then you start really episode three is where it really picks up and you get these justifications that are like, you know, I love, I've talked about this many times on different podcasts, but the, they, everybody talks about show don't tell. Right. Well, I love freaking telling. I yeah. love when a character just exposits the heck out of a scene and like tells me what is going on. And what's amazing about this scene, this show is they will straight up let this priest who is, who is a vampire and kind of knows it kind of doesn't mm -hmm. believes he's the, believes he's the beginning of the new covenant. Right. You know, the Bible's separated into two covenants. It's the, the old Testament covenant of blood and the new Testament as uh, a, you know, the covenant of Christ or whatever. Right. And, uh, he, he believes this is the beginning of the new covenant. Right. Uh, and, and <laughs> it's just, it's just really well done. So he, it will straight up zero in on him having, 
long like sermons. He will give an entire sermon yeah. and you kind of know what he's talking about, but the audience still thinks he's just talking about Christ, but he's trying to like prep them. He's like uh, grooming his audience to be more accepting of his vampirism when he finally reveals it. Yeah. And he, Oh, it's so good, man. And then there's the, there's also AA meetings where him and the, this guy who killed Riley. his girlfriend, Riley, uh, Riley and the priest will sit and have these long AA meetings where it's just the two of them talking and, and they're just having an AA meeting and long monologues. And I just love it because they are having these deep, you know, philosophical conversations about morality and religion under the backdrop of this vampirism that this guy is trying to groom everyone to understand, but not in an evil way. He really does think he's helping everyone. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, one of the most beautiful and and pernicious and terrifying parts of this whole story you know because i will add a spoiler warning uh at the beginning um but yet part of why i don't think this is a vampire story i think this is a story about religion and faith where the vampirism is just like the MacGuffin, you know the thing that drives the story because it's not about the ethics of vampires it's about it could be anything that was something right. that does harm but also on the surface seems to have a good thing and i think for me one of the things that i I am a former clergy person. I've spoken to a lot of clergy people, both of all religions, both former and current, about this show. And one thing that all of them talked about and that resonated for me as well was that this isn't a 25-year-old clergy person who is, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and thinks they're going to go out and save the world. Right, This yeah. is someone who is at the end of their life, at the end of their career. They probably should have retired a while ago. But... Like, they think that they are the moral center, the spiritual center of this community, and they've spent 80 years, 70 years, however long it is, trying to bring life to this community, and it's dying, you know? Mm -hmm. And that there's such a sense of, I, you know, I, I think um, Keeping the Faith is one of my favorite movies because it also gets into this, but a lot of things talk about this where, like, working as a clergy person, whatever you're feeling about the ethics of clergy, and I certainly think there's an awful lot of terrible clergy people out there, but I think some also some very good ones. But Nope, it, all bad. That, Nothing but fair. bad people. That's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I, you know, Martin, Luther, Martin Luther King <laughs> might have some arguments against you, but well, also, he had some rough as well, et cetera. Um, I think there's some good ones, but yeah, no, I know you're kidding. Uh, but the point yeah. being, like, there's a feeling of like loneliness, of like, Especially, I think, if you're not the sort of clergy person who, like, I always used to joke that, I, that I, I'm sometimes jealous of those on the right because of the confidence that throwing away all reason and logic can get you. You know, I think it's incredibly dangerous, but that's the point, is that to be an actual person of faith, to be a clergy person, is to be constantly doubting, is to be constantly wondering, am I doing the right thing? Am I helping? And I feel like this is a character who spent 80 years, 70, 60 years, whatever it is, I'm theology, not math. Mm trying to help right everything around him is dying and failing and fading and now he gets this chance to actually heal to heal that little girl in his community who can't walk because of this tragic thing that happened with this awful drunk person with a weapon to to bring back life to to reconnect with the love of his life that he wasn't able to be with because of the catholic vows and mm -hmm. it's not to justify it but i feel like if you've spent 70 years, 60 years, whatever it is, feeling like you're trying to help and you don't have any of the answers, and then along comes this that is so clear and right and black and white, this will make things better, just ignore the other stuff, I, I get why that's so seductive to him, you know? And I think that's one of yeah. the most 
troubling pieces of, of the whole show is that how, how relatable that is, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, you've got the character of Bev, who we spoke about earlier, who is clearly just out for her own good, her own pride, her own, but she, she wouldn't say that, you right. know, she wouldn't say that aloud. I, I, I can't imagine there's not something in her mind. She's, she long ago gave up empathy and is, is just grasping onto this new form of the religion as this like as another way of excluding other people. Right. Basically. Yeah. For making her- herself feel, uh, feel one of the chosen. Yeah. And it's funny, again, speaking of clergy people, I've said every one of them I know has said they've had a Bev in their church at some point or their synagogue oh, yeah. or, of whatever gender. It doesn't have to be a woman, yeah. but that person for whom they want to be seen as being the most holy, the most righteous, the most sacred, the most, the best Jew, sure. the best Christian, the best uh, Wiccan or Druid or, or Muslim or whatever it is. Right. And then be able to kind of look down on everyone else. And that's, yeah. Uh, and, and it's, it's interesting because I think Paul, no, Paul Hill or the Monsignor Pruitt, he knows that he knows just how terrible right. this person is, but he's willing to use her because he thinks that's the tool he has to use because she believes it entirely. Mm. Right. Well, it's also, here's the thing. I think there is a lot in him that is, is doubtful. Because yeah. he's lived this life where he wasn't really sure of his vows because he had a daughter with someone in town. He kept it a secret. It's not like he came out and was honest. Like he's been he's lived this life of secrecy and doubt. And, and like, any, as you said, to be a clergyman is always that because there's no proof. So you, you live your life preaching a thing that you can't know is true at the heart right. of it. And so, like, he's he's lived that life of doubt. And so his turn is not one of like, I've been justifying myself to these people all these years, and now I finally get to justify more. That's Bev. He is, I finally have proof. Yeah. Like, I think it's him turning and going like, it's all true. Guys, it's all true. Like, yeah. this, this is all real. Like, he really is buying in even harder than he ever has before, um, I think. And I mean, we don't really get to know him beforehand, but like that, because of the sort of sins of his past and the doubts we get here, hear him talk about um, it. I almost never rewatch things. Mm-hmm. I just don't have time. Yeah. But this is a show I really would like to go and revisit because I want to hear his, I want to hear his uh, sermons again. Now that I know so much about him, because you don't, the, the, the vampire reveal is one thing, but then a little later down the road, you find out he had a daughter. And yeah. I mean, that's like the last episode you find that out. And you're like, oh man, you were, you were trying to save this town. But a lot of that was like, you really cared about this daughter you never got to know. Yeah. And I, in some ways I didn't love that plot point because I felt like it, I liked the idea that he was the person who genuinely wanted to help, felt like he'd failed at it the whole time. And then now had this way to do it. And so making right. it be more about his own urges, you know, his own desire to kind of go back and be able to relive his life with the woman he loved and with this daughter they had. Um, it takes away a little, but you're right. It also is a very powerful thing because again, it's more to his loneliness and to his like, how right. can the, the thing that I think is doing good is telling me to deny that, which I know that is good, which is love. And I mean, in that, like I've, I've heard that story echoed by, by certainly by, by, priests or others who are not allowed to be with people, but also just by, you know, anyone who, because of divorce or because of their sexuality or their gender, like the thing that they, especially in Christianity, like where we are taught that God is love, the place that they find love is also what the church tells them is so wrong, you know? And so, yeah, I think that's, that's such a great, I I struggled with it, but it is such an important part of a story. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, (sighs) 
I think it's just that he had two lives that he doubted. Right. You know what I mean? And and I love that. I love that moment too, because like she isn't on board. Yeah. She was never on board. Like this whole, when she realizes what's going on, the, the, the woman that he loved, like there's, that's, that's a whole really beautiful part of the story is that this woman that he loved has had dementia for 10 years and she's lost herself completely. And he starts going to her house to give her uh, communion Right. And that like that slowly heals her and she basically gets younger and younger and younger. And then by the end of the story, she's as young as he is and they're both young. And it's just like they and he starts talking to her about now we have a second chance. Like I can take this collar off this time and we can have a second chance because he's regretting the decisions he's made. And I love there's a line where she's like, no, but that's not how it happened. Yeah. And like, I made a different choice. Like, and it's sort of revealed that like, she did not choose to be with him. Right. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like it wasn't just his choice to not be with her. It was, she didn't choose to try to get him to leave the, leave right. the faith. She wanted to be with her husband and her daughter. Right. Um, and mm. and that, I think that's a big part of it. The other thing though, that I think is also so important is she also says like, Paul, this isn't you, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, not pa- Paul, I forget, it's Monsignor Pruitt. I think John was his first name. Um, because, and I think yeah. it's exactly that it's, I think she talks about how one thing she loved about him was his empathy. And the fact that like one of the key things that happens is Riley, he turns Riley into a vampire as part of this attempt to kind of like spread and the idea that like even Riley can be forgiven and even Riley can be saved and Riley rejects it. Riley's like, no, this is wrong. And, and winds up killing himself in this incredibly powerful scene um, yeah, that's very hard to watch, but also very beautiful and very emotionally evocative. But but what I love about that is that when that happens, I feel like that in many ways, that's the decision point for uh, Monsignor Pruitt. That could be the moment where he says, actually, my empathy has to kick in. I think I'm helping people, but I'm doing real harm. I need to pull back. Instead, he's able to go into that place where what once you have that truth and everything's justified, you you can justify anything that goes against it and just say, oh, that they're heretics, they don't understand. And I think that right. that's what he like the line you set up where he, he no longer is listening to empathy, he's just listening to his quote unquote truth, and, yeah. and that she sees that the the woman he loved is like you're not the person I loved anymore. You've become someone different. Mm, mm. That that's true. I also got the sense that like she she says something about how like she didn't want to be with she made different choices back then that's like that's not the choices we made and it's like she's not really wanting to necessarily be with him even if it was the old version and it's like i don't know it's 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 so fascinating because it's also about this man this story is about a man who's like spent his whole life he kind of had two dreams Mm -hmm. and he walked in between them and he never realized either one he really wanted to fight to save the town and he really wanted to have this family, but he had to choose and he chose to try to fight for the town and that didn't work. And he, and at this point it's too late. Like it's just, a, it's, a, it's, it's also like you, you very rarely get the story of like a whatever, I don't know. He's like 80 or 90 years old. He's an old man. You very rarely get the story of this old man getting to be young again and really getting to see through the eyes of his regrets in a very relatable way. And yeah. uh, man, it's just, yeah, really good. Really, really good. <laughs> and I think one of my favorite parts of it as well is not only does the I mean, I, I don't think that the woman who he used to love rejects him necessarily because she does still wind up like holding him and they're together at the end in, the, yeah, in a very yeah, poignant yeah. way. 
But the other person who really kind of, again, is like, I don't want what you're trying to offer um, is the daughter that he had. Um, Mildred, mm-hmm. Mildred is the name of the, the woman he loved and Dr. Sarah Gooding, who's also the doctor in this town. So she's one of the first people like pulling all these pieces together is the daughter. And there's this just incredibly evocative moment because part of what's established is that if you die having taken the communion recently, you will be reborn as a vampire. Which, um, if you've played Vampire uh, the Masquerade, World of Darkness, it's very similar to that, except you just don't have to have all your blood drained first. But mm-hmm. uh, And so there's a scene where, at, at the very end, Bev is the one who's really kind of turned this into, we are the army of, of God, we will conquer everyone else. The uh, Monsignor Pruitt's like, no, this is all wrong, I want to reject this. And the, his daughter, the doctor, has been also like fighting against this, and Bev shoots her and kills her. And or she's, mm-hmm. she's dying and Monsignor Pruitt is horrified by this because this is the whole point. He wanted to have his daughter back. And so he tries to feed her his blood to bring her back to life. Oh, and, gosh. and she in this incredible visceral moment, she spits the blood out as she's dying. And it's mm-hmm. just such a it's beautiful because it's not but it's not like that. She hates him. She clearly wants she she's connecting with him and, and loves that she's figured out who her father was. But she's also so clearly saying, no, I won't choose this path. This is wrong. Yeah. Man, when he sees, and like, that's the thing. I think he lets, as, as we've talked about, he lets his empathy get the better of him. He talks about how he, he himself has murdered people and, and how he couldn't resist it and all this stuff. But it was God. God chose those people to die. And like, that's, yeah. that's the line where like, we never get to really see him do that, which I think gets like gives you gives you the chance to be on his side for most of the story. Mm-hmm. But like we know that he also did the the thing where he like went blood mad and killed someone. Right. Um, and he justified it through the through his faith, just the way these other people are. Um, and in many ways, I think that's one of the most powerful metaphors of the whole thing, because um, I, I don't think um, that many of us have like we have to kill people for God. Some people certainly think that. But. An awful lot of people feel like, well, you know, it, it sucks that I had to harm this other person, but this was, you know, what God was calling me to do, or just this was what, you know, destiny was calling me to do, or this is what, I, to advance in my career, it sucks, but think about how much good I can do now that I'm in the CEO position, even though to do that, I had to kind of like screw over right. this other person. Like there's just, yeah. there's so many ways that we can justify to ourselves the harm that we do to others. And to me, I think you put it so perfectly. That's kind of the central idea of this of this of this TV show is that, especially when you think you have proof of that goodness, anything becomes justifiable. And like that's mm-hmm. look at any religion, look at any cult, look at it, like you know QAnon today, look at anything you know. Yeah. Where where it's okay to hurt hurt other people because they're not. It's all for the greater good. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. 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 Um. Sorry. One of the most uh, striking moments for me is when he does walk. He's like, he's realized, he sees the army Bev is creating and, and what they're doing. And he sees the pain he's caused. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and walks into the church and he sees his daughter bur- about to burn it down. Yeah. And he's like, it's just a really powerful moment where he just kind of turns on a dime. And he's like, okay. I was wrong. This life was bad. I did a bad thing. He turns around, he looks at her and he goes, okay, light it on fire and then go out the back door and head toward the tree line because then they won't see you. And she's like, she looks shocked because she thinks he's going to be against her. And then he says, (laughs) God, 
I mean, it's, it's real sad to me because she doesn't know he's her he's her father. And uh, she says, uh, she says, that was the plan, like really confused. And then he just like looks at her really with a lot of love in his eyes. He's like, I just I'm so sorry. I never got to know you. Yeah. And like she sort of dawns on her what what is going on here, uh, that this is her father. And then Bev shoots her. And it's just such a sad, sad, sad moment. Yeah. Oh. And and. and- one of the things I love about the way Mike Flanagan tells stories is that he drops in these little details that tell you so much without having to focus on them. Um, you know, the doctor is, among other things, uh, a lesbian, or she she is a uh, she has a female partner for the entire story, and he knows that. And I think that there's there's clearly a she has a tension towards the church because she feels like, for very understandable reasons, because you know what Catholic and most not most Christian churches, but in all, well, I'll say that again. For very understandable reasons, given what the Catholic Church and many other Christian churches teaches about homosexuality, she feels like she's going to be rejected by that. She certainly is by Bev and some of the others. And like, there's a moment earlier where he sees her with her partner and later says like that he's proud of her. And it's just such mm-hmm. a night. And, and I think all that's tied up to this moment. And and you're right. It's so beautiful that he, you know, where the two of them wind up. And, and of course, then what happens with Bev makes it just, you know, all so much more painful. Well, and it makes me sad to think about that, though, too, because you're talking about this line of like when your belief, when your belief in something that you can't prove crosses your line of empathy, I think is what I, I like really what I'm getting at. Because there, yeah. there are like truths that you need to fight for. But like when there's a truth that you literally can't like, like whatever, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Well, especially. So there's this there's this line where he he's not willing to let his empathy get the better of him he's still like fighting but then when he's when he turns to his own daughter he he does have that empathy for her great enough to like turn on on his new faith his new covenant and so i don't know there's something sad about that because that's 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 a very common thing in stories it's like yeah one and it makes it makes him more of an anti-hero than a villain because a lot of times there's like characters like wilson fisk not he's he's a villain but you know, he only cares about the people that he loves. Like he has very specific people he loves. Yeah. Not it makes him a relatable villain, I guess, is what I'm getting yeah. at. Not not anti-hero is a bad term for it. Um, but you know, you have that you you get these villains and you set them up, and they may not have empathy for anyone outside their circle, but they love their circle, and that that matters in storytelling to us because right. we see them as at least they have this much empathy, and at least they're going to fight hard for their people. Yeah, and and for him, I think he he wants his people to be all people. But it's also right. that, like, if you reject the truth, you know, and this is, I mean, it's a straight up white savior complex of like, I know how to help you. But if, uh, you know, if you reject my idea of how to help you, then you're bad, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's going to lead me to think that I, for any similar reasons, a lot of people have asked me about this. And so I want to kind of address it both because it's, it's important as its own thing, but also so relevant to the story. One of the major plot points is there's a young girl in town who is disabled uh, in part because, as we find out, she was shot by uh, a guy who's the kind of like he's the town drunk. He's the town like he, you know, does stupid things. He was out in the woods with a rifle. He was drunk. He thought he saw a deer. It was mm-hmm. actually her. He or he just shot something else and a, a ricochet hit her or whatever it is. And and she was paralyzed. And um, one of the first true miracle is that she's able to walk again. And it's this really mm-hmm. interesting scene of how he like. You know, he challenges her. He's like, get out of that chair. You can walk. And everyone else around him is like, what are you doing? You're being so cruel. But then, of course, she can. And 
I, I want to talk about this. On, first, I want you to talk about the disability part of it. Then I want to get back to the kind of the, the main idea here. But but this is something a lot of people have asked me about because one of the things I'm on record as saying is that I don't like stories where you have a disabled character, but she they become non-disabled because of the magic or because of the the science, and, and you know they become a superhero where their disability is basically not. It doesn't matter. Right. I think of her character somewhat different because, yes, the miracle makes her able to walk, but she winds up being one of the characters who rejects everything. She is one of the people who, like, is part of that, like, this is all horrible, fights against it. And the very last line of the show is her and mm. someone else uh, out on a raft so that they're away from all the carnage of the, uh, the island, another, uh, teenage, another child, another teenager. And the last line is, I can't feel my legs. And yep. it was searing because it was a like, yeah, the the thing that healed her was fundamentally wrong, you know, and was and yeah. and she was willing to reject that. She was willing to say this isn't worth it, even though she knew at the time that I don't think she knew that it would undo her healing. And you can hear the pain and some fear in her voice in that very last line. But I just. You know, I don't – to me, this is an exception to that rule that I often talk about because of the way that it's not portrayed as like, oh, it's great that she's healed. It's that, first of all, she gets to have this incredible confrontation with the person who shot her, which is – I mean, we do a whole other episode yeah. on that. But just the way the way it's portrayed as, yes, she was healed, but in a way that she has real questions about and most importantly in a way that she had no agency in. She didn't get to choose it, and when she gets to choose again, she chooses not to. Um this this is probably one of my favorite stories of disability in in this kind mm. of media. Well, and and you you say there's a lot of uh, sort of fear in that moment when she realizes she can't feel her legs, but and yes, that is there. But I think it's also a very hopeful line mm. because yeah. she's gone through this experience, and that blood that is inside of them is like sort of this poison that is morally poisoning the town, and like. They don't know how long it takes to get rid of it. They don't know how long it flushes through your system or whatever. And I think in that moment when she says, I can't feel my legs, and then it just cuts to black, like, it's like, it's, yes, it's sad uh, to lose, like, any function, probably, to some degree, but, like, it's, it's or scary or whatever, but, like, it's, it is much more preferred to get rid of the moral problems that they've all faced in this moment. I don't know. Um, like, and it, it does, it's, it's her choosing. And I think yeah. the story choosing that this is a better ending for her, much, much better ending than like, just she's healed. And that's, yeah. that's, that's not, that's not, that's not her journey. You know, I see. That's the thing is I, I think that there's some real possibility of that, but I want to say as someone who like, you know, I don't have, I can walk sometimes. I'm not as, as fully di term fully disabled is nonsense. I am not disabled in the same way that, that she is. Um, and I am, but I admit there's an awful lot of times where if someone said, hey, you can have a full leg again and not have to ever use the wheelchair, not have to use your prosthetic leg, not go through all the things, but these other bad things will happen. I, I'm not like I, I want to tell you I'm the ethical panda. I would, of course, never make those decisions. <laughs> It'd be really hard for me, though. I can understand the temptation. And I think I, I think you're right that there is a lot of hope in it and there is a lot of like, thank God that is over. I, I, I do want to push back a bit, though, and say I, I, I think it's very intentional that it cuts off there because it leaves so much mystery. Because I think that's the point. Yeah, I totally. Think, I don't think she ends it in a place of, okay, good, I'm happy being back in my wheelchair. I, I think part of the point is we're now back to doubt. You know, the whole movie, has the whole show has been mm. about the the dangers of certainty. 
and that's great. But the whole point is that there isn't certainty. She's going to now live the rest of her life in a wheelchair thinking, I'm so glad, like, vampires didn't take over the world, but also remembering those three weeks when she could walk again. And, yeah. And I think no, that's, for sure. that's all kind of mixed up in it. Yeah. No, no, I completely agree. I just I, I think I think it's very interesting that it's mixed up. Yeah. And that, like, in a way, it's a note of I'm losing the benefits of this nightmare. You know what I mean? Like, this is a horrible nightmare and it's over. And like, this is a sign that the nightmare is over, but I'm also losing the benefits of the nightmare. And so it's like a weird, it's a great, it's a great way to end the story. It really is. I should also say, I think you and I do such good podcasting together. Both you and I are terrible at remembering names and we both count on our other hosts to jump in and be like, oh, here's the name of that person. So I, 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 so, uh, I, so I kept being like, wait, why aren't – oh, right. You're not – so Lisa Scarborough is the name of the girl we're talking about. That's right. Uh, her parents are, are Mr. and Mrs. Scarborough. I, I'm not going to look up their names, but they're, they're also important at the moment. Uh, his father is the – her father is the mayor of the town. Um, and, I, and the mm. person who shoots her who also has this beautiful story – uh, is Joe Colley. Um and, and let's talk just for a minute about Joe Colley and Riley, because I know you've got to go very soon. Um, I do. Because one of the things that the story is also about is the idea of redemption and the idea of can you be forgiven for this horrible thing that you've done? And especially, can you ever forgive yourself? Because that's, I think, one of the most, like, again, in that, I think what's my favorite scene in the whole show when Lisa confronts Joe and she says, listen, I hate you. And I'm going to keep hating you, and I will never stop hating you, but I also forgive you, and I hope you can forgive yourself. And to me, that scene was everything, because it wasn't the, like, no, I forgive you, I love you, everything's fine. She acknowledges she's always going to hold on to this awful feeling for this person who did a terrible thing to her. But she, like, for both him and Riley, the question is, can they forgive themselves? Uh, as well as can can they be forgiven? Should they be forgiven? What what did you think about the way it approached their two stories? I thought it was beautiful. Like you said, I, I really don't have a lot to add. It's just absolutely a beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, and the, the sort of hatred the whole town has for him and the hatred he has for himself and the clear like self-destructive behavior he's still engaging in. Um, but he still like, he, 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 that moment where she forgives him and is just like you can tell that 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 could have unlocked his potential you know what i mean right. like that sort of for both of them it's it's freeing them of the sort of like the cycle of regret and hate that, that they're both locked in from this right. life-changing event and and that forgiveness frees them both yeah i mean and, and joe like riley as we said winds up killing himself in, in part i think it is a final manifestation of his like i don't think i should still be here anymore but also it's because now I'm a vampire and now this is almost so much worse. Joe, right. he quits drinking. He's on the yeah. path to changing his life when he's killed by 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 the vampire. Again, because he, he's trying to figure out the truth. And yeah. in many ways, I think that's one of the most – that's another one of those real decision points for the pastor because Joe's the kind of person he's supposed to be helping. You know, he and Riley mm-hmm. have helped Joe and, and Lisa especially – are helping Joe to find a better path. And he has to kill him in order to do everything else he wants to do. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Uh, man, there's so many other things that we could get touch on. And I know I've got to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to just briefly mention the, there's the Muslim family. Yeah. That, that adds just a lot of complexity to the issue because you've got a, a Muslim father who 
has it just adds a lot of like real world discussion to this thing of yeah. like the Christians have the vampirism and now like this Muslim guy is like no no his son wants to join in because of the benefits that everyone's receiving right and his name I, this is a bit confusing because his his name is Ali as I remember it his name is Ali Hassan he's the sheriff. And so right. Bev, in kind of a like trying to be cute, but clearly being pretty anti-Islamic and racist, calls him Sharif. But then the cast notes on Wikipedia list him as Sharif Hassan. Um, so I'm not I'm not <laughs> sure. I thought his name wasn't Sharif, and that, but I'm not sure now. But yeah, he because okay. that's he, that is racist as fuck. But it's a good joke. Well, yeah, but I also um, don't know. <laughs> maybe I got the name wrong. I'm not sure. Um, but I love also you you dropping f bombs on my podcast because you know you can but not on yours. Uh, <laughs> oh no, uh, we drop them over there. I just bleep them these days. Yeah, that's fair. Um, um, but yeah, but you're right. What'd you like? Cause, just to fill people in, so he's the sheriff. He came here because he joined the NYPD after nine eleven because he wanted to show mm-hmm. like, look, I'm Muslim, I'm American, I can be a patriotic citizen. But he dealt with so much racism on the, in the NYPD, which, by the way, his right. story is very much based on a number of true stories that happened. Yeah. So he moves to the small town where, of course, he feel he faces incredible racism um, and his son wants to start exploring Christianity because that's what all the kids in school are doing. Um, well, it's also what like he, he literally sees a girl get her, get her legs back. Right. And like sees all these miracles happening around town and is like, no, no, I know we've been saying we have the real truth and they don't. But like clearly they do like it's just like the vampires is like convincing everyone man when that vampire walks in the room in the priest's cloaks like that's just so iconic like this this show is so clever in combining these two these two worlds it's so much fun i mean it's two worlds that have been like there's so much catholicism wrapped up in the vampiric stories you know yeah Uh, part of why the whole story gave me chills is if you know the vampire role-playing game one of my favorite characters I ever played was a guy named Father Leahy, who was a Catholic oh. priest who believed he'd been made a priest by God, made a vampire by God in order to bring healing to even the most forgotten and evil creatures. So I was just like, this is my character. I should sue. This is crazy. Wow. Um, wow. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> but man. Yeah, but, so, uh, give me your last comment on this and then I'll let you go. So what, what, what did you like so much about that story of the Muslim father and son? Oh, I just enjoyed the like complexity of the father, like dealing with his son wanting to leave the faith. And it's like, it, for me, this story, as I said, is is a lot about when religion crosses empathy, da, 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 da. kind of religion is, is nothing but a justification tool in the story mm-hmm. for most people. Yeah. Um, it, it, it gets complicated because I don't think that's the case with the father. Uh, I don't think that's the case of the priest. I don't think it's just justifying. It's one of the things that it's doing, but it's, it's almost like it's, this thing has bolstered his belief. Um, but for a lot of people, it's, it's using, it's using faith to justify the vampirism and the murder and the bloodlust and all this stuff. Um, especially with Bev and the people, her sort of disciples as the story goes on. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting to see, uh, the sheriff, um, like, I don't know, dealing with his, his faith mm-hmm. and just trying to have an earnest faith, dealing with those same doubts. It's almost just like watching one religion in the light of another religion thriving, but for yeah. bad reasons. And he's like, I just, I just, I'm just trying to do my thing here. I'm just trying to get my son to bow down with me, uh, 
you know, and it's, yeah, well, it's, it's just interesting. And his story, I think, is one that I've heard echoed by so many clergy people who don't want to go that fundamentalist we have proof route, which is when you're offering doubt and when you're saying, look, I know that the questions are hard, we will be with you in the questions and be present with you in the doubt, but we're not going to we're not going to fix your doubt. And the guy down the road is saying, I will give you the answers. You never ask questions again. Like, you can think you're the more healthy version of religion, but five people are going to go there while one person comes to you, you know? And I yeah, think that's, absolutely. to me, that's exactly what, what Hassan, by the way, also, uh, don't write angry emails to Wikipedia. This was just my dyslexia or dumb reading. It actually, it, I realize they're, they're listing his, his name in the titles as Sheriff Hassan. But because for everyone else, they're listing it as first name, last name. I was like, wait, why aren't you giving his first? Why, are you saying his first name is, is Sharif? No, I just read it wrong because Sharif is with an A, not an E. I'm an idiot. Ig- ignore that. Thank you. <laughs> but- That's so funny. Okay, I really do have to go. But let me just say real quick, as, a, as to end on a light note, why the hell did they not find somewhere to hide? Like the whole <laughs> end of the story, just to throw it out there, the whole last 20 minutes of the show is every building in town has been destroyed, has been burned to the ground, and like the sun is coming up, and all everyone in town is a vampire. They're all going to, or dead. And basically the whole town is just about to burn. Build a lean-to, like get a hammer and nails, like get a tarp, something. There are ways to survive this, and they have a long time. They have all this time to like, let's go all have our final moment that sets up our our character's death and their decision-making, and then like they (laughs) go, some go and sit by the footbridge, some go and do the, all these little things, and like you have time to look for a plank of wood to lie under for 20 hours or whatever yeah like like, does nobody have a reinforced basement anywhere in this right right it's one of these things that i think um i've been paying attention to a lot where the writer wants the characters to face uh, a very hard moment and Mm -hmm. you love watching the characters face that hard moment but the back of your head you're like but they, the writer didn't do a good enough job setting up the hard moment. I totally agree with you on that. Like, yeah, yeah. That I, I, agree. I, I love watching them all basically come to terms with the idea that they're wrong and accepting this. But yeah, yeah. also, like, it didn't have to be that way. Yeah. Anyway, Silly. Uh, you need to go. Uh, so I'll just give your sign up for you. Matt is the, the he's on MCU cast. He's all over Binger's Assemble, PandaVision. Check out uh, the MCU cast. Check out all those podcasts. Check out strandedpanda.com. You can find him on Twitch and all the things. Check out my other podcast, Star Wars Universe Podcast. Check out all the awesome things that myself, Matt Carroll, and all the other Stranded Pandas are doing. And most importantly, have a good day.